welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Michael Landers, the author of the best-selling book, Culture Crossing, focused on working, living, and thriving in today's multicultural marketplace. He is also the founder of a global consulting firm that goes by the same Culture Crossing name. Thanks so much for joining us today, Michael. Pleasure to be here, Matt. Thanks for having me. So your consulting firm on your website, you talk about the importance of successfully navigating the, quote, complexities of working globally with savvy, sensitivity, and style. So first off, I I love the alliteration. And second, I realize that the COVID crisis throws a little bit of a wrench into working globally, but I actually think that those skills could even be more vital now. So what does it take to effectively work globally and why is it so important? Yeah, definitely. And I like I like your your kind of shout out to the savvy sensitivity and style, as well as what's going on with COVID. Because interesting enough, I was just speaking to my wife the other day about this whole experience. And very often when you cross cultures, especially national cultures, you have to kind of get into a forced adaptation into that culture. And what I'm finding is for myself, this whole experience with COVID is like almost going to another country. This was a forced travel though, right? And we're we're here now saying, oh my God, how do I adapt to this, right? And I'm finding myself adapting to it and and it's challenging, no doubt, but I'm looking at through this kind of cultural lens of how do I go through this with some sensitivity, ideally some savvy, be informed. And the style bit is really about understanding who you are, right? That's kind of why we said the style bit, because too often when we see people go from one kind of culture to another, be it corporate cultures or national cultures or regional cultures, um, very often they study about the culture they're going into without taking the time to look at themselves. And that's kind of where we've done a lot of work and help with people is starting with you, taking a look at what you bring to every encounter, and then taking a look at the other or the place that you're going. And with that model, we're finding less kind of what we call culture crashes, where you have some turbulence between uh, people or organizations and more connections. Hmm. I really resonates the starting inward. And and I think that's probably not the inclination that I would have, or maybe that many of our listeners would have. What what does that look like? What sort of questions should we be asking ourselves? How do we go about that process to maybe begin the journey of being a more effective communicator and and really understanding those, those cultural issues that are so critically important? Yeah, for sure. And then also to your point about working globally, in today's society, obviously, COVID's making us all work even more globally, right? Because we're on Zooms more and we're, on, we're working with people from all around the world. And, and in the majority of our, our countries um, and cities around the world, that we are multicultural, right? Multicultural doesn't have to be just uh, national cultures, right? And it doesn't have to be race or gender. It's different thought processes, different communication styles. So when I think working globally, we all have our own culture, to, even if we're both from the same town. And so that's kind of why these skills, I feel, apply to everybody these days. And I'm not just saying that because of the work that we do. It's really what we're seeing. Um, so, so those are the kind of things that, that, that we're looking at. Now, to, an- to answer your question of like some quick things that you can do or there are things to think about to kind of go inward. My personal experience, I'm from Boston. Um, but when I was three years old, my father moved our family to Bogota, Colombia. So I grew up in Colombia from the time I was three years old the time I was 15 years old, coming back to Boston every summer. 
And then we moved to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil for two years. And then we moved again to Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic in the Caribbean for another year. So that, that, that experience for me was three high schools in four years in three different countries. So what that did for me, really, I wasn't aware of it at the time, but it forced me to consistently look into how and why I thought things were the way they were. And then every time we moved, I had to adjust that if I wanted to kind of connect with people. After undergrad um, in Miami, University of Miami, uh, two weeks afterwards, I moved to Japan. So I find myself again seeking these opportunities to kind of question my own culture. I came back to the, to, the, to the United States and got a master's degree in cross-cultural training. And that's where this all solidified in me that my personal experience kind of shaped my future experience. Fascinating background and change and pivoting and adjusting to all of these different cultures. Um, for those of us who can't go on that incredible of a journey, <laughs> yes. what are the the kind of questions that we should be looking inward in or when we're interacting with somebody from a different culture, how, how can we better frame it so that they really appreciate that we're coming to the table um, with the right frame of mind? Definitely. And you don't have to travel around. And, and you know, the beautiful thing with, with how connected we are via the internet and stuff, you can really explore all different places of the world and read and, and taste and eat and all these different things quite easily. Um, so what, what I found in my experience is that we all have a series of mental models, the way we kind of look at the world and all different things from how we prepare our food to how we greet people to what we think is right or wrong, right? And culture, in a sense, your personal culture, your, your town culture, your family culture, those are all series of mental models as well. And then when you meet other people that share your mental model around things, like how you should cook a hamburger or what time you should eat dinner or how you make decisions or how you problem solve or how you negotiate or how you influence, the list goes on, right? When you meet someone who shares that mental model, very often it's easier to connect with them. When we meet and interact with people that don't share that, that's where we have a lot of tension right? That's where we have a lot of what I call these culture crashes where we unknowingly might be offending people or we just don't connect in a way that's productive for work or personal experiences. And so one of the things that I talk about and I'm consistently doing with myself um, as well is, is just checking my mental models. And you can really start to look at your mental models when, when somebody does something or um, somebody provides something that doesn't fit your standards or doesn't meet your expectations, and let's say the expectations weren't communicated, that's pushing on your mental model. And so rather than getting upset and angry about it, what I encourage people to do is first just go, huh, okay, let me explore what my mental model is around this and then see if they share that, the other person shares that opinion, or maybe they have a different one. And that starts the, the process of, of kind of having an open mind to any of these interactions, regardless of where people are from. Hmm. And so it seems like a big part of it is that obviously that self-awareness piece, but then a huge part of how you show up is, is in your communication, your, your style, your tone, um, any tips or any ways that you see people maybe make a mistake on a, a strictly communication front where we can get yeah. um, Sorry. that arena? A hundred percent. So here's a simple one, right? I call this the, the seven second rule, right? And here's a question for you that feel free to, to answer open and honestly. And for, for those of you listening, you can do the same thing. So if you were going to ask a client or a colleague, you know, a friend even, uh, a question and your question that you asked was met with silence, how many seconds would you wait before you personally filled the silence? 
Man, so I think you're you're leading the witness with the article title or the the seven. <laughs> yes, there is absolutely no way that I could go seven seconds without trying to fill the silence. I, I definitely would would jump in way before that. Yeah, and it and it's person to person. We found. I mean, I've I've asked a series of questions to over you know probably seventy five thousand people around the world over the last ten years doing workshops, similar workshops to to people, and in the United States, you know, probably a good thirty thousand. And so we find that the average U.S. American in the work that I've done waits between one and a half to three seconds. Wow. And, and, and in other cultures, people might wait 25, 30 seconds, even a minute. Just depends, right? And then just because you're from a country doesn't mean that you're getting like not all Americans. Some Americans might wait 15 or 20, but just on average, you see that. And so the real thing to explore there is why do we feel the need or what's driving us to fill the silence? Or on the flip side, driving us to wait. So for most people, and I'll ask you, Matt, this, if you ask the question, it's met with silence, what are some thoughts that might be consciously or unconsciously going through your mind? If it's met with silence, I think the biggest fear that I have is I've touched a nerve, I've hit a third rail, I've gone somewhere that, that maybe they didn't want the conversation to go. Um, maybe I should have taken it. I think a lot of self-doubt starts to create. Yeah. Definitely. And, and, most, and, if, and you'll see if your responses are negative to that question, then most, most likely you, not you, but just people have grown up in cultures where silence is not treated as a necessarily a positive thing. So let's take like your classic U.S. American um, experience. Not, not I wouldn't say classic, but, but very, very common. And I, 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 lived, I lived this, even though we grew up overseas. And then with my daughter, we did this every once in a while as well, which is if your child misbehaves, a common kind of punishment is a timeout, right? And when you get a timeout, you're basically telling the child or the child's forced to sit, sit away from everybody else, usually in the corner, sometimes looking at a wall, right? And they're alone, no one talks to them until they're ready to come back and join the family. So that message is saying, you know, when you're, when you're misbehaving, you are going to get treated with silence. And then take it to like maybe middle school, even elementary school, some high school, when you get a detention, a detention is where you sit in a room for most in most schools and it's completely quiet. No one talks to you for hours at a time and you can't do anything but just sit there. So by the time you become an adult and let's say you're in sales or customer service and you ask someone a question that's met with silence, all of these feelings, whether you experience them or not, are probably going to come flooding back. I, so how do I get better at if I can't make it seven seconds right away? <laughs> How do, how do I work up to that? How do I train myself yeah. to just be more freaking comfortable with silence? Yeah, so I would say that the seven second you can actually do, and I'll, and I'll do it, we'll do it here. It'll feel really long for a lot of people and for other people, it'll be a big deal. But, but here's, here's what we found in, in the work is that it's really challenging to get adults to change behaviors, right? And to change them and to consistently hold on to them, especially if you read a book and says, do this, do that. Even right now, me talking, going, do the seven second rule. For a lot of people are like, oh, no, I don't want to do that, or that doesn't make sense. But you have to look at it. If I'm filling the silence, um, how could I possibly be, be perceived by the other person? I ask you a question. I go, hey, Matt, so what do you think of the report that we sent over? Right? And I'm thinking to myself, one second, two seconds, three seconds. I'm like, hey, Matt, did you hear me? The report, I was asking you about that. Right? Four seconds five seconds, six seconds. Hey, I just want, Matt, are you listening to me? Right. And so I'm starting to feel all these feelings that maybe you're not happy with me, or maybe you're being disrespectful. And meanwhile, you haven't said anything. So what impact could I have on you by filling the silence? What could you possibly think about me? 
I would be I would be worried that I I honestly have to say I would be worried that I had offended you or that it was shocking to me that you didn't jump in with some level of a response even just an acknowledgement that that I was there and had presented something to you. Yeah, right. And so if I fill the silence with you and you're the you're the you know you didn't ask me to fill the silence you were, you maybe you were processing but what that how I could be perceived by filling the silence is Maybe I'm not confident. Maybe I'm very self-absorbed. Maybe I'm not credible. Maybe I'm disrespectful. And all of those things were, none of those things were my intention, right? My intention was to ask you a question and to, to feel credible and respectful and to be on it. But then by me filling those gaps consistently, you might see this impact that I'm not credible and I'm not respectful. And so that's what we find gets people to change behavior. Um, but the real question is, is if, 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 there's, if it's met with silence, eventually the person will most likely fill it. But if you rush them to fill it, then very often it can be kind of hit a hindrance to your brand, if you will, think, especially across cultures. I think it's a really interesting take. It's also making me feel unbelievably conscious about how I'm going to approach the next couple of minutes of, of this conversation and how I'm going to fill some of the gaps that, that you give me. So um, I would love to hear more about how you've turned this into a business. I mean, this has been something that's been a passion of yours. You obviously have an incredible origin story of, of how you got here. Can you talk a little bit more about how you've actually made this um, your life's work, given the interest that you had in it early on and seeing all of the different cultures? Yeah, definitely. So, so after um, grad school, I worked in international HR for, for several years in New York City. And then I started to do more of this kind of consulting work. And I started with families who were going from one country to another. And I started uh, with helping their children out because I, as, as a child who grew up in other, different, other cultures, I was able to kind of relate to their experiences. From there, it grew to kind of helping more executives and managers as they transitioned from one country to another with their families and their spouses. And what I found in my work was an expertise around culture right? I started with, obviously, with my personal experience, a lot of national culture. And so how do I sell uh, in Japan? And how do I market to Indonesia? And how do I manage more effectively in Italy, right? And within all of those experiences with the national culture, I was realizing I was doing a lot of what we call your softer core skills, right? Management, leadership, negotiation, influence. I was just putting this cultural lens around it. And so I started to be able to work more in that field of the soft core skills with a lot of companies. And I moved to California and I'm based in San Francisco now. So I started working a lot with the tech companies. And what we were finding with was a lot of these companies were going to one company to work on the culture bit, experts in, in culture, cross-cultural specifically, and then other companies to work with the soft skills bit. And what we were able to do is this kind of global effectiveness piece, which should take the cultural bit and then add the soft and core skill bit and put them all together. And what we found is regardless of whether they were going to other national countries or not, we were able to help them understand the cultures that they were working in, whether they were clients or colleagues or different teams, and really help people kind of navigate those differences within a company, um, within a company, within one state or one city, and then within a company in, in a department, engineering and sales or sales and marketing. Um, using the same kind of method of awareness 
recognition of that awareness, recognition of what the other people might want, and then finding kind of that bridge between. When you were starting out and kind of crafting what you thought this company would be, and when you look back at that time, what has surprised you? Where were clients looking for something that maybe you didn't anticipate um, when you got started? What would you tell your younger self to be more prepared for when you kind of got into the thick of actually delivering this level of service to clients? Yeah, so I would say that I got some advice early on from uh, from consultants who have been doing this for a long time in different fields, but they were like, it's really important that you find your niche, right? Find what you do really well. It doesn't mean you can't do all these other things, but find out what your niche is. And you might find as you as you kind of discover your niche, it might become broader than you think it was. And so that pretty much happened to me because my niche was the culture and it was always the cross-cultural, which, which meant national culture. But what I didn't see was, oh, this, this expertise is in culture and that culture is a much broader thing than just crossing a national border. And I stayed with that. And then I, then I think I got, a, a, at a younger age, I got a little bit too opportunistic saying, sure, I can do that. Sure, I can do that. And I would tell my younger self not to do that as much. Hmm. You know, it was good experience, but if I had kept in deeper into my niche, uh, it would have expanded to where it is now um, at the same pace, probably, maybe even quicker. Um, but I do feel that it was easier for me to build a business with one specific niche that I knew. And when you see people like coaches, right? Coaching's pretty, um, pretty uh, prevalent everywhere now. It's very easy to become a certified coach. Um, and it's great. I'm excited for that. And, and then you might say, okay, I want to become a coach. Um, I would still say, what's going to differentiate you than other people. And that's that niche bit. And so if people are thinking right now, well, what is going to differentiate me? All I found is just look inward, look at your life. And one thing that's helped me is trying to figure out what your strengths are. If anybody has ever told you anything throughout your life in terms of what you've done well, like, Hey, Michael, you're really good at speaking. And if you've ever kind of put it down, like, no, 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 I'm not really. You know, if you ever put it back and go, no, no, not really, you're kind of deflecting it. Yet people keep on telling you that that's probably one of your strengths. And then the other thing I would look at is what are some things that you've done in your life where you've been really, really happy? You've really, really enjoyed it. It's come naturally and, and it didn't feel like work at all. That would be another place to kind of look into a passion um, or a strength that could become your niche. Well, I think the, the whole concept of niche and strengths and, and passion is a, is a wonderful spot to kind of end the conversation and, and pivot a little bit to our, our final two um, rapid fire questions, which we ask all guests. So I'm very interested to get your thoughts on it. Um, the first one is, if you could describe your own leadership style in one word, what would that word be? Authenticity. And the final rapid fire question is this, what is that? I know you hit on it a little bit earlier. You talked about advice, but I'm going to re-ask it. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? It's a little corny phrase that someone shared, me, shared with me years ago um, related to your mental models being challenged and working across any culture. And that's get curious, not furious. Well, I am a big fan of corny phrases. That's a great one. So thank you so much for joining us today, Michael. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I really like what you guys are doing here. So yeah, uh, check us out. Just Google Culture Crossing. You'll, you'll find the website. There's a free 
guide to cross-cultural etiquette and understanding on that site as well. Um, you can take a look at our book if you're interested in Twitter, uh, at Culture Crossing, and obviously send an invite to me via LinkedIn, Michael Landers, Culture Crossing, and be happy to connect with people and um, answer any other questions that people might have. Well, thank you, Michael, and thank you, listeners. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice, and we truly appreciate all the sharing that you're doing of our show with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer, and you can find our organization, Ability, that is A-B-I-L-I-T-I-E, at Ability.com, and be sure to subscribe so that you get our next episode, and I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast.